Hello and welcome to New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. I'm Emily Newman. And I'm Catherine Doggall. This podcast is a chance to mull over the current goings on in hotel land, chat to some pleasant folk about things they know and provide some interest for your ears. We've brought our journalism and communication experience together with our sector knowledge and contacts to create a strategic PR company which understands investing in hotels and the many roles within them. In this episode of New Tricks, we're joined by Will Hawkley, Head of Leisure at KPMG, for a spot of competitive socialising. In a change to the previous biscuit and cake chat, we go deep into crisp territory, audio props are included, and ponder how to solve the hospitality staffing crisis, how casinos fared during lockdown, and why it's all about the good life in the suburbs. Hello and welcome to New Tricks, the podcast from New Dog PR. We are back, refreshed and ready to go. We have got Catherine with us from Paris. Hello, Catherine. Hello. <laughs> um, and Will, Will Hawkley, who is the head of leisure at KPMG, who we are in the presence of greatness because he's fresh from the BBC. We're going to talk about biscuits and or crisps. Will, Chris. welcome. Chris! <laughs> Chris, early vote. <laughs> early vote for crisps. Um, what were you doing talking out loud this morning? What were you talking about? Um, I was talking about our takeaway survey, uh, which we did for the second time. The first time we did it was pre-pandemic in 2019, and then we did it coming out of the pandemic in terms of people's attitudes to take away, what they're spending, what they're spending it on. What are they spending it on? Crisps? <laughs> take <laughs> away crisps exclusively. But, um, oh my goodness, it really should. But of course, there is this whole new area of grocery fast delivery, which is shooting up and there's lots of different companies and apps. How do they do that? Because we have one here where they say we can get, and it's like, you know, some olives and booze, basically. Um, and it says, we can get your olives and booze to you within 13 seconds or your money back. And I understand completely how they do that here in the centre of town. Um, but they seem to be offering to do it in other places. How is it drones? In my mind, it's drones. <laughs> well, not yet. It may well be drones in the future. But it's, they're basically, they build little um, warehouses in the suburbs. And they'll just buy up garages and things like that. And um, they deliver from there. So that's it's interesting because what's going to happen is you'll be looking at sites in urban conurbations that are going to just be bought up to be able to, to stock delivery. And you'll have, you know, people working off their mopeds and bikes just pulling up into these little warehouses and delivering locally. Limited range, of course. Um, but that's what these startups are doing um, rather than the big supermarkets, which, are, you know, the likes of Sainsbury will distribute from store and the co-op, you know, Deliveroo have a deal with co-op, I think, and they deliver from store. But they'll be setting up little warehouses, basically, and running out of those. I mean, the other the other area is if you think about it is things like car parks. You can put little convert little bits of car parks in enters into warehouses and deliver out of those which could be an alternative use for city centre or urban car parks which are not as busy as they used to be so is this the return then of because the, all this is the whole pandemic is meant to be good obviously bad for lots of things but good for like the suburbs is this more good for the suburbs news 
definitely. Mm. I mean, we've seen, um, you know, I've heard restaurateurs talking about basically restaurants in the suburbs being ahead of 2019 levels, you know, significantly ahead. And, you know, just from where I live, the places like Kingston, Richmond, Twickenham, etc way ahead of 2019 levels um but city centers way below you know city centers sort of like 60 percent of pre-pandemic levels which make them unprofitable at the moment so i guess which is why people you know a lot of businesses are trying to urge people to get back into the office but um i don't think that's happening as quickly as people hoped particularly with the you know obviously i can only really talk about the uk with the level of cases that we've got here still so, um, yeah, I think, you know, the suburbs is still at the moment the place to be and restaurant groups are looking to, you know, to open more sites in in these suburban areas and looking to grow mm-hmm. in those areas and probably end up at some point maybe shutting down the city centre sites unless they come back a bit more quickly. What is your, um, what is the sort of corporate view from KPMG's side on returning to office and supporting the uh, the crisp sandwich eateries in the city centres we've gone fully hybrid basically for for the period now um and we will go back in from literally tomorrow we can go back into the office you know whenever you want you need to book a desk obviously just in terms of logistics and you know it'll be two to three days in the office two to three days at home that's a lot that's at the moment our sort of like long-term plan which i think is quite a lot of what you know, the big consultancy houses have said um, most of the banks, apart from the big US banks, which I think are very different, uh, you know, they want their people back in 100% at the time. But we're definitely a hybrid hybrid model for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. Right. And on to pressing matters. Um, though we heard a rumour that biscuits weren't your thing, but crisps were. So your crisp of choice, please. Well, so I've got two examples for you. Great Berwick Longhorn beef crisps, which are half eaten. So that shows right. that was, you know, partly my lunch. And, and just do... for the purposes of the listener, this isn't this isn't just a snack pack size. This was a this was a substantial 150 gram pack that was. Mm. And then <laughs> this is one of my these are Tato's Irish crisps. Ah, of course. Which are... Don't tell Pretty Patel. Fabulous. Oh, they're made in Northern Ireland, I think. Because um, she, she wanted to starve everyone out of Ireland, didn't she? That was her big strategy. So... <laughs> <laughs> and can you get those on these shores, or do you have to have them shipped over? You can get these in um, in certain Tesco's and all, and all other supermarkets are available. <laughs> but you can definitely get them in pubs. Oh, and why are they so tremendous? Pubs. Why are they so tremendous? They just they've got really, really strong flavour. But all crisps are tremendous, but those are Yeah, just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know. But I'm also partial just to a bag of walkers, being from the Midlands, you know. I was brought up on walkers when I was a mm. kid. Before they were bought by the, the giant PepsiCo. So you've single handedly paid for all of Gary Lineker's children through school, what with the walkers. Very good. Yes. <laughs> like remember when crisps were two P a pack. Two P? Mm, okay, yes, I remember they were quite. Um, we always used to get the ones with a little blue salt bag, which is a good way to distract Got your shake. children. That's the one where um where you can because it gives you an extra sort of ten minutes of your children won't be whining at you when you make them stand outside in the dark while you're in the pub. 
And they're there, look, it's an extra two minutes. We'll take you to find that bag before you start pressing your little faces up against the window again. Back in the Genius. cold. Genius. Entertainment. Cold. Exactly. Come out in another three hours' time. <laughs> Not very good for their blood pressure, but anyway. Well, you know, their kids. <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> Character building. Mm. Presumably these days you'd be able to choose whether you used it or not, wouldn't you? And then it'd become like a oh. like a, a like a, a virtue signalling thing. Look at all these packets of salt I don't eat, you could say, couldn't you? Or you could use just a little bit of it, or uh, yeah, you could have mm. limits around your salt. Yes, there are all sorts of terrible directions you could go with that. Let's <laughs> hope they didn't bring it back. <laughs> Stop doing that. Well, there is a new artificial salt which is seventy percent better for you. Is it? What, no... Is that like stevia? But for salt? Yes. <laughs> How do they... <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and so do you have to carry I, it around I with you? I read about it at the weekend. It's a, a salt substitute. And uh, they've just tr- renoun- announced the results of the trials and it's way much better for you. Mm. Is it not full of, like, ghastly stuff, though? Like... Well, so no, you're, thinking of those air fr- you're thinking of those air-freshening mints that made everyone shit themselves. <laughs> That's what you're thinking of. <laughs> It was exactly but what looked like. <laughs> exactly. No, no one wants that. I'll have salt and vinegar on my chips, please. And <laughs> you can keep it's it. the mix of the sodium and the chloride and something else that they add into it. But I can't remember the oh. science behind it. But it's um, yeah, much so better. Sounds convincing. If they created, it was in the papers crisps. this weekend. So Google it. Okay, we'll Google it. If they created some crisps with this seventy percent less salt malarkey, would you be up for that? Yes, definitely. <laughs> it's like that um, alcohol-free wine, which is relevant, of course, or uh, not alcohol-free, but low-calorie rosé was a thing a couple of summers ago, wasn't it? Mm. I see low-salt salt. That's <laughs> what I'm putting into Google. <laughs> oh, you can get low-salt salt, 50% less sodium. See, there you go. Well done, Saxa, already, already on that. Yeah. See, this is informative, educational, and... It is, yes. it is. Well, it is, because I had a lovely fish and chips in the Dodoin. Um, so there we are. I, do, I never have extra salt. I only had a, a, a vat of vinegar, which I'm sure is really good for you, like being pure acid as it is. <laughs> and Catherine, you've been on your travels as well, haven't you? And you've seen and you've seen shelves, supermarket shelves, that have more than the odd... Paxo stuffing and whatever randomness there was, I can't remember now. Something Swiss chocolate. Did you have Swiss chocolate at some point? Yeah, we've gone. We've got the M and S in Paris has gone full Swiss now. Um, so, so Swiss chocolate with a big sign over the top saying "new" in case the Swiss hadn't thought of chocolate before. They hadn't in this context, I don't think. But yesterday, I was in uh, in Kings Cross, legitimately because I don't need to quarantine anymore. In um in Kings Cross at the MNS, there swooning around, looking at the things. There's so many things: milk and uh, and chickens, <laughs> and all the other things that we don't have here in Paris because um, it has gone from awful to there's nothing there at all now, and they just put posters up. Um, so yes, so there there are supply chain issues in Paris, are there? For M&S, yes. Oh, of course. M&S, M&S Foods, yeah. They've yeah. been having a supply chain issue since the 1st of January and it's just got worse and worse and worse and you can go on Twitter and follow all these different people who are going, I saw some cheddar in the one at Montparnasse! <laughs> and everyone has to like Rush. race out there. <laughs> but um, but yes, but they've mostly, it's mostly big posters everywhere saying, sorry, it's Brexit. At least that's better than posters of food that you might have had 
if they yes, had no, they don't do that because they got got very sad. But I can only imagine that the, the franchisors here are, are probably probably having a difficult time for it. Well, we're running out of food just, you know, per se anyway. You know, Nando's has run out of peri-peri chicken. Yeah, that's true. McDonald's has run out of um, milkshakes. I went to a McDonald's Mm. the other night. I couldn't get a bottle of water. They'd run out. They'd run out of water? Yeah. That's not a good sign. And it's all to do with delivery drivers. They haven't got enough delivery drivers. I can't help but think, though, if there was less fried chicken and less milkshakes in the world, it wouldn't be necessarily a dreadful, dreadful thing. Or is that just make me an awful... Sounds like a dreadful thing. A lack of water wouldn't be good. I'm putting water in a slightly different bucket there, but I was more thinking about yes. the fried chicken and the just... I yeah. think you can consider the milkshake the canary in this water shortage. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, Such yes, fun. no, it's not perfect. I did, I did also. I wasn't just in M and S because I'm, I'm, a, I operate across the class system, and I went to the ASDA in Bedminster as well, and uh, in Bristol, which is if anyone knows it, it is what it is, um, which are absolutely bargainous, obviously. But uh, they indeed were exhibiting shortages on their shelves, and to get round this, they'd moved the shelves further apart, so you had a much more spacious, spacious shopping experience. Spacious as you walk from sort of one apple, sort of four meters to the next apple, kind of. Ah, so all about the customer experience. Was all about the customer experience. So I bought a cheap notepad. (laughs) Yeah, I did. It's nice. How was your (laughs) customer experience of holidaying this summer? Will did you holiday? Was it delightful? Traumatic? Getting there? So um, I went to Rhodes. Um, Foreign. And they do have an M&S in Rhodes Town, you'll be glad to know, which I was Ooh. shocked at. I didn't go, but they do have an M&S. Um, so Rhodes was beautiful, although um, sadly um, there were quite a bit of forest fires, so that was a bit sad. Um, I'd cycled through a forest that had just been burnt to a cinder, which was, uh, you know, wow. really, really difficult to see that. And, you know, it's... It was a place of natural beauty that just burnt to the ground. So, you know, it is a serious problem mm. in Southern Europe at the moment. But, um, no, I had a great holiday. I Can I do it? I went with Mark Warner, who was superb. Um, you do uh, like a bit of Mark Warner, I recall. I do. I've done seven Mark Warners now. But it's great when you <laughs> go with the kids because the kids get entertained. You can do things for, as the adult as well, like cycling and sailing and all sorts. So it was fabulous. The only, uh, you know, obviously was the testing, but that was all fine. Uh, but cost 350 quid for three of us to test there and back. Which test? Wait, okay, there and back. Mm-hmm. So, and two of us are double jabbed, but we yep. still had to do £350 worth of testing. Yep. But the travel experience <laughs> was pretty good because, uh, well, Gatwick was very quiet which I guess ah. is not a, not a good thing for our beloved industry, but it was very quiet. Well, that's good local knowledge because he throws the one to avoid at the moment, isn't it? Apparently so. Yeah. And, um, and City is meant to be very good still. Hold no, that was fine. We, we were flying early in the morning and we got back late at night, but um, it was um, pretty painless, to be honest. But it was um, it was great to get away. And how long do you think they'll be sticking with these ta- with these tests? I almost called them taxes. I'm so <laughs> so I'm so used now to arguing that they are going to be a, a semi permanent tax that um, because because uh, you need for me and I 
guess, yes, because you have to fill the locator form in on the way back. You don't get to fill the form in until you get the code from the people you've paid for the tests. Uh, and it seems to me, as somebody who was recently in the UK and has yet to receive her tests, um, that I've paid £96 recently to get a code. And that strikes me as, A, something that people can start selling on eBay. Um, and I may well be there, people. Um, <laughs> or, or B, something that's not about health and is just about a tax. Um, and I wonder to myself whether there's going to be a, a route to this being made more permanent in terms of, oh, well, you know, we want to be very careful about people's health. And so it'll just be a practical solution, really, if people were able to prove that they've been tested before they came in £96. I wonder where, whether we're going to get into a state where people are going to get so used to this that it's going to be another travel tax is my concern. Because as you said, you're double vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated. I happy to sign something promising that I'm not going to lick anyone. Um, and I guess the, the, the money doesn't go to the government, though, does it? It goes to the, the health provider. So it's them who's making the money, not the government. They might make a bit. Indeed, but I don't see why the government won't. It, but... Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if the government saw an opportunity. But that may, that may be a, a, leap, a leap too far. It just felt like one of those things that it was necessary. Now, in most cases, it's not necessary but it's still happening. Maybe that's where well, the well, investigation is going to come. Isn't there an investigation being launched into it? Is the investigation going yeah, to find it? Yeah, the company doing it. It can all be bought in-house and the government can do it. Exactly. Perhaps. Well, they're the same tests as the, you know, I, I so I, you know, I tested, I did a two-day lateral flow before I came back, negative. I did the PCR test the day two, I got back, negative. And I got the test result on the Monday morning. On Monday afternoon, I got an email from Track and Trace saying that I'd been in contact with somebody and had to get a, well, either, you know, have you been double vaccinated? And if you have, we recommend you get a PCR test. So I'd only had a literally the result of a PCR test that morning. And I then had to go and get another PCR test. The PCR test that I got back in the morning cost me £90. The one that I did in the afternoon with the NHS cost me nothing. And it's the same test. <laughs> now, I know, I know somebody pays for it, but, you know, and the lateral flows that you do two days before you come back is exactly the same as the NHS ones you get for free. But you're paying the cost for somebody to basically video you to prove that you did the test. Oh, you did the video one. Cool. Yeah. I had a but it's the same thing. It's a little plastic lateral flow test that the NHF gives you. Mm. I've got yeah. hundreds of them in the cupboard. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do wonder on that side of things where why it is that it's it, in that case that is that is a stress on travel because it's a case of you pay your tax, you fund the NHS, but yet if you want to travel, you oh, mm. yeah. But, I mean, the serious, the serious point on all this <laughs> testing is if you're an airline, you can mm. fly around Europe, you fly your planes around Europe without any people having to test within the EU. Mm. And therefore, your flights are fuller than if you're flying within the UK or flying UK Europe. So the airlines are moving their planes to Europe. So there's less capacity in the UK, which yeah. is actually then you know, hindering the economy in terms of airport tax, all the taxation that the government will get, infrastructure within the UK in terms of transport. There aren't, you know, airlines are pulling out of various different airports. So there is a serious point to this in terms of 
the airlines, you know, are moving effectively. Well, they're moving the planes, but if that's impacting the UK economy versus the European economy. So it's not good for our economy. No, no, it's not. And it's and they're changing in the the number of times I've had things change in the UK that I had no control over. Whereas having flown domestically and taking the train domestically in France this summer, absolutely rammed. It's like a normal airport whenever you go, whenever you travel. And exactly the same. And there's no, you know, because it's all seamless. You don't need to show anything. And uh, you can be asked, obviously, but um, yeah. yes. And it's not good it's, for the, obviously. It's, the it's normal travel. No. Particularly in the UK. So, yeah. And there's no inbound, you know, there's very little inbound traffic to the UK. Um, which again is hitting the big, you know, the big conurbations, London, you know, tourism in London is, well, sorry, overseas tourism is in London is virtually non-existent. Um, Mm. So you have got some UK tourism, people coming to London for holidays and for the weekends, but, you know, most people are going, you know, if you go to the coast, it's rammed. You, You can't get a, you can't get a room, you can't get an Airbnb. And if you do, you're paying you know, that probably more than I paid to go to Greece. I'm off to London town this weekend. I'm very interested to observe the busyness, lack of the who's who's there, if it is other if it is other Brits or if it's um people who've managed to who've managed to hurdle the test gauntlet and get in. I shall report back. I think, you know, from you know, living in London, from what I've seen, it's mainly, you know, it's Brits. but And it appears busy, but it's all leisure. It's all leisure. It's very little. There's no business travel, which, again, impacts the hotel industry, particularly, obviously, the high end, affects the casinos, you know, theatres, everything. Um, I forgot you cover casinos. How have casinos been during the pandemic? Well, um <laughs> Online has been doing very well. Um, obviously, um, the gambling industry was hit very hard because they were uh, the last to allow to reopen. So even when pubs um, could reopen, casinos in the last lockdown couldn't. So it's been very difficult. And now if you're in, you know, you're a big casino in central London, you know, the lack of inbound tourists is hindering um the the big casinos in central london but online has done very well um for you know over the lockdown period so if you looked at some of the share prices of the big gambling companies at the start of covid they were you know they fell down into the below the pound levels and now they're back way back up above where they were before the pandemic so They've done well, but, um, you know, the, it's the land base that's struggled. So we've had a chat about casinos, takeaways. What other sort of hospitality trends are you seeing? What kind of stuff are you working on? What can you share? So I think, it, you know, if you're thinking about hotels, which I know is sort of like your area of expertise, I think some of the worrying things are, you know, it. well, so the positives are in within the UK has been leisure you know, domestic leisure business has been very, very strong. Now, will that continue once the summer's over and the school holiday's over? You know, question mark. But what isn't coming back anytime soon is international business travel. So that is a big issue. Um, I think the other factor 
<clears throat> that needs to be considered long term on travel, business travel in particular, is the environmental impact. And you are seeing, again, I read an article over the weekend, I think, or this morning, it was um, about Mars and their corporate travel policy. And they were looking to cut their sort of like air travel or travel budgets by 50%. And a lot of that is around not just new ways of working post-COVID, but also um, to do with environmental impact. So a lot of companies are now starting to change their travel policies to reduce their carbon emissions, basically, and try and get to the, you know, a lot of companies have pledged to be net zero, you know, by 2030, 2040, whatever, whatever it is. And I think that's going to have a big impact on the industry long term, obviously, the airlines, the hotels. And I think that's a, you know, that is a long term trend that all businesses are going to have to consider. And, you know, what can what can a hotel in central London do, for example, to attract more local business? Because they're going to have to fill the business from somewhere um, because, you know, travel will come back and leisure travel in particular. But business travel is going to be way below the levels that it was in 2019. So what 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 to do? Well, I think you've got to. Um, as I said, sort of like a bit like what Accor are doing, isn't it? I think in, in France is this, you know, become part of the local community and look at what you can do, you know, with your space in the hotel. What else can you sell? Can you bring the local community into the hotel, local businesses into the hotel? Um, but there's going to have to be a much more of a local strategy. Um, it can't all be based on international. And if you look at some of the big hotel groups, you see the ones that are reporting good numbers or better numbers are the ones that you know have got a lot of domestic travel so you know just as an example ihg in the us has been resilient because there's a lot of you know road trips um so you know and we know that hotels in the uk that are based on the coast at the moment are doing very well from leisure travel um, as I said, what happens to that once the school holidays are over and the weather gets worse? And so you've got to, you know, that that's something I think that local focus is something that they've got to think about. Uh, what You know, if you've got, you know, you're going to need probably hotels will need more, um, you know, video conferencing facilities, high quality, hybrid working spaces that people can use. Um, and, you know, they can make money that way. Could you reward your travellers more points? if they travel to a local hotel than a, than a hotel in China, for example. So they only, you know, if they stay, if you if you live in London, you go to a hotel in China, you only get 50 points. If you go to a hotel in London, you get a thousand points. So you know, there are ways around it, but it's this whole sustainability carbon impact, you know, for the airline industry, for the hotel industry, for all, you know, industries is going to be really, really important over the next, 20 30 years i wonder if the um focus on local might not be a bad thing in many other ways we've talked haven't we on previous podcasts about how hotels sort of sit within the hospitality industry but in a sort of do people really know what they are and why they exist everyone knows why their local pub is there and you go and have your pint or your glass of wine and there's a roaring fire and dave behind the bar knows your name 
and that's 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 what resonates with a lot of people when we think about they talk about the hospitality sector but i still think for many hotels just remain this sort of mythical thing that look really you know not very welcoming um we know exactly what they are because we worked in the sector for five gazillion years but but i i think perhaps having some sort of pr around their role in the local community might not be a bad thing yeah and you know the rest you know restaurants aimed at more local attracting locals than um the the people who are staying in the hotel and i know some big hotel companies have had that strategy with certain brands you know for a while with f&p being completely separate from the hotel business and attracting you know getting I don't, I, it's not just the the big celebrity chef thing. It's more having a you know a restaurant that attracts locals where prices are you know are reasonable and um, you know having that focus and developing you know good restaurant experiences. You know, so mm. yes, um, it's become as simple as just putting a door that opens onto the street, hasn't it? Yeah, well, that goes the same actually for um, casinos as well, Catherine. Mm. You know attracting in people to do leisure activity rather than just gambling so the hippodrome casino in central london is a great example of that you know it's now got a theater it's shown magic mike you know they've sold thousands and thousands of tickets for that and people will go and watch the show and then they might go and gamble or they might not or they might have a drink or they might have a steak in the steak restaurant but it's become a leisure attraction as opposed to just a casino. I mean, obviously that's right in the centre of London. It's, you know, it's a beautiful building, but, you know, that's what these businesses are going to have to look at. Um, and can, you know, can you do other things as, you know, the big <coughs> rise in, um, you know, competitive socialising, you know, like the darts, the table tennis, the golf, and, you know, those are great. Sorry, competitive socialising. You heard it right. You heard yes, you not heard of competitive socialising. No, it's so I live in France. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a, a thing, everything but... is competitive, not just socialising, <laughs> and B, socialising. <laughs> so basically, it's like going and playing darts with your mates in or the bowling. In the you know, like that's like flight bowling club. club. Oh, was was going bowling competitive socialising? It is now. Yeah. Yes, but oh, it's, right. you know, now you, you can do it with darts. Sticks. You can do it with crazy golf, um, table right, tennis. <laughs> Brilliant. Competitive socialising. That's um, amazing. What do you call And they do do it well. You know, it's not just like you used to go down the pub and throw a few darts. It's all interactive. It's got video cameras. The scoring's automatic. There's loads that of different games. It's very <laughs> inclusive. Um, you don't have to be good at darts to 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 win. Um, it helps, but you don't have to be. Um, it's really good fun. Really good fun. Great for team nights out and stuff like that. Escape rooms. Has anyone done an escape room? Have you done one of those escape rooms? I've not rooms? done that, but... Um, I, I know somebody who went on a company away day to an escape room. Is it delightful? No, they wanted to stab all of them. It was one of those difficult situations where they're particular, they wanted to stab all their colleagues anyway. Oh, no. Um, and the escape room then, you know, almost provided them the opportunity to do that. Accelerated is, the trend. <laughs> so they accelerated the trend to, you know, colleague on colleague homicide, I think. So we there's actually very, uh, we do have one down the road from here, like a quiz room or something where you a quiz room. A very yeah, episode of not going out with Lee Mack set in a um one of those rooms. It's very funny. Right, we should be googling that afterwards. Thank you. Yeah. What's the thing with the axes? That always looked quite appealing. Lobbing them. 
Just sounds now that sounds like what someone that your mate used to do didn't like his colleagues because you know just <laughs> slightly oh, off angle. Uh, oh shucks! Mistake. Sorry, oh, sorry, I'm too competitive. <laughs> <laughs> We're hurtling through this. Um, I'm going to. Should we have just one point before we do the question? Before we ask you the questions, um, it's probably escaped absolutely nobody's notice whatsoever that there is a slight issue with jobs in the hospitality sector just a slight one just a slight one have you got any i think we've completely solved the problem as what city center hotels need to do to attract business have you got any gems as to how we can fill the jobs if i did i probably wouldn't be sat here now i'd be making millions um it's really difficult isn't it um i think obviously brexit for us has been you know has been a big issue lobbying government around that but you know they're not listening as far as i can see you know if you hear what uk hospitality are asking for and things like that there's the 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 british retail consortium you know with the drive you know the big issue around truck drivers and you know massive shortage and what's happening to the supply chain you know everyone's lobbying but you know there doesn't seem to be a solution at the moment, I guess, which is, you know, down to, you know, the politics of Brexit, which is, you know, way above my head. But, you know, I think retention, thinking about retention as much as recruitment, you know, it's all the good old stuff, training, flexibility now, um, you know, automation and skills. You know, we, we did a report, around skills and what and what the job market needs and what what the future is and we worked out roughly you know it's obviously it's an estimate but 60% of the skills that you will need to do a job in 10 years time haven't you don't even know what that skill is yet because things are changing so rapidly you know who'd have known what a data scientist was 10 years ago for example or 20 years ago and you know that's an, an industry now that's booming and there's university courses on it and you know, people who are experts in data and programming, uh, you know, what what's in demand. Um, you, know, on a, you know, there are, you can do things in hotels. You know, I know one hotel company that is now using robots to clean the carpets. Um, and the rest of the stuff, the cleaning staff in that, you know, in that group are pleased about it because it frees them up to do, you know, quite frankly, less uh, tiring parts of the cleaning the room and um so you know i guess there are op- opportunities around automation to free up some of the time but you know going into the labor market where you can offer people flexible contracts you know set hours a week that fit around you know whether that be school you know pickups and drop-offs or or whatever it is in people's lives that you know they have to do outside of work and it may be that somebody only wants to work 10 hours a week, but giving them a contract for that rather than a zero contract. Um, so there are, you know, there are ways around it, but it's, you know, it's going to, it's a, it's a, a long-term problem. Um, and I guess pay is going to go up, which means costs, you know, costs of rooms and food and every, you know, prices will have to rise. Um and what I, we know, what I, I know, we are seeing in the restaurant sector is people are spending more per visit at the moment. Hmm. That partly may be due to the fact that they've got, you know, savings that they've built up through lockdown. But 
you know, prices are going to have to go up and maybe frequency will fall, but spend will increase per visit. Um, but yeah, but it's very difficult, but, you know, focus on retention, skills, training, flexibility, you know, all the thing great employers do, they're going to have to do more of, I think, and it's going to be very competitive. Um, so we wrap up these glorious conversations by asking all of our guests the same questions, which hopefully hopefully you've had an advance, had a little look at, or you could just make up off the top of your head, wing it, <laughs> whichever you feel <laughs> best. Whichever you feel. I'll, I'll leave you to judge who. Whichever you feel more comfortable. Uh, um, to the first of these probing questions, when the shutters are up and I had the jabs in my arm, the first thing I did is... Well, so um, I went to Rhodes on holiday for two weeks, which was <laughs> fabulous. But um, no, it was it was good to, um, you know, I booked a holiday in hope that I'd be, you know, I booked it back in April, hoping that I'd be able to go in August. And I was probably lucky. I think I probably, you know, <laughs> I got booked it the week after you know they allowed you to travel from the amber countries otherwise i wouldn't have been able to go because i wouldn't have been able to quarantine for 10 days so you know luck over judgment i guess but it was great to get away you know the testing isn't great but it's it's doable but obviously it's expensive and not everyone can afford that i guess we're in a lucky place that we can but you know that is going to put people off traveling is that cost of testing as i said earlier mine was 350 quid for one adult and two kids so it's not cheap um and i've got uh, i've got a couple of gigs coming up in the next Ooh. week week so that's gonna be exciting to see some live music and the cricket the cricket as well so that will be so what, what do you have what do you have to do to get into the cricket nothing don't tell about because it's just even more gussed that you can't be there, Catherine. I think they might. Um, I guess they they might ask for. I don't think it's compulsory, but they might well ask for proof of double vax or a, or a lateral flow. But I'm not. I've got both, so you know. But I don't think there's anything specific now because obviously there's no restrictions on. Of course, yeah, there's no restrictions. No, because everyone's been going to the you know the football, but. Um, I thought you'd have asked me who I'm going to see in my gigs. I no, I was who are you going to Next see in your gigs? And I was, I was, I was too shocked that there were gigs. So I'm going to show my age. <laughs> I did see lots of the, lots of people had been to Reading this weekend. Yeah. on my Instagram. Yes. my daughter, sixteen year old daughter went. So, oh wow, she, she returned. Oh, she loved it. <laughs> yes. The first uh, first festival, she absolutely loved it. I'm worried, obviously, that she will. Uh, suddenly appear with covid in a few days time but so far she's tested negative but they had a great time they've had a tough time haven't they these though kids of that age with their gcses happening and not happening and um so the chance for them to get away was um was great for them really but yeah so um sisters of mercy which might be a band that you remember i have recall them vaguely yep and uh (laughs) they're playing the the the, um roundhouse and then i'm going to see snow patrol the day after At the Palladium. This is just a veritable schedule of very sociable competitiveness. <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not quite sure where their sisters is going to be that sociable. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> Definitely out there supporting the wonderful industry that we uh, that we work in. Very good. So on that, on to the next question. The best thing about the hotel sector is? I think it sounds cheesy, but it is the people. 
I think you get a certain, you know, group of people who, you know, are sociable, want to give customers a great experience, want to travel, you know, want to look after people. Um, and no, you know, everyone wants to do that. It's a different skill set, social skills rather than, you know, you know, deep analytical skills, for example. You need both, obviously, but, you know, I genuinely do think that, you know, if I've worked in the sector for a long time now, you know, people as well, like, you know, they will, um, you know, so if you go to Berlin, everyone talks to each other and they like each other and obviously it's very very competitive but you know if you see the chief execs of the hotel industry on stage and afterwards they all seem to genuinely like each other and respect each other whether that's true or not they definitely show it <laughs> give them an axe um, and see what happens I think, I think people you know they know how hard it is and they want to you know um, I'd, I'd say share best practice, but I, I don't want to get as if they're, you know, there's no competition. There's massive competition, but, you know, they want to, they, they, they want to get it right for the, for the customer, for the consumer. I think so. What about improvement? The hotel sector would be significantly improved. If- so for me, it's some of the, now it's some of the, what I see as niggly little things. So it's just the things that you can get at home now or you can get when you're away in terms of delivery. Why are you still, if you're in a hotel, why is it 25, 30 quid for breakfast when you can walk around the corner to Starbucks and get it for a fiver? You know, why can't you get a really decent cup of coffee in your hotel room? I know some companies do, but you know, for me, if I'm in my hotel room's got a decent coffee machine and fresh milk and stuff like that, it really improves just for me, the, the customer experience. Um, you know, decent price room service because you can now just order a takeaway to deliver to your room. So, you know, um, phone phone charges, you know, why, why, why do all luxury hotels have a phone by the toilet? <laughs> it's the epitome of luxury. Who? Have you ever used that phone? No. Well, I'm not going to say. And in the day of mobiles, (laughs) why do you need a phone next to the toilet or by the bath? Or um, that annoys me. Star star rating, isn't it? uh, Well, it needs to change. It does. I think I mentioned it earlier, but the environment, you're sort of like, you know, we care about the environment, reuse your towels. It's sort of like, to me, we just want to save money and not do the washing, you know, have a real sustainable policy that says, you know, maybe if you don't change your towels every day, we'll give five pounds towards this charity or, you know, whatever, something like that. So it's it's just the the little niggly things on the edge. I think Wi-Fi was like that in the past, but that's become ubiquitous now. I think every hotel pretty much, you know, you get decent Wi-Fi. They t- tend not to charge for it, um, and they tend not. You don't need to go through lengthy log-on um, scenarios. Give them all so your think, data. Yeah, but uh, I mean, obviously, they will get they get your data anyway, don't they? That's one of the you know the great things about a hotel is when you well for a hotel operator is when you check in, you give them all your ho- your all your data your address, your telephone number, your passport number, everything. It's okay. They don't do anything with it, though. So. <laughs> well, 
They should. They should. They should. They just keep it. It's a precious little gift. Yeah, but who owns that data? That's the question. Do you own it? Does the franchisee own it? Does the hotel operator own it? A whole other podcast. Yeah. (laughs) The GDPR owns it. Shrems 2. Okay, penultimate question. What the industry needs now is? Um. Again, I've mentioned it before, but I think it's the focus on the environment and local communities. You know, they've got to get that right now. And I think a lot of the, you know, they are really starting to get this in their focus and they're making big commitments, which is great. But it is going to affect the industry, you know, fundamentally. You know, you've seen flight shaming in Scandinavia, in Europe before, before you know, COVID there were a significant increase in um, rail travel in Europe at the expense of air travel. Um, You know, that's all going to continue. And just getting that focus on the environment, particularly for, you know, the millennials and the younger generation coming through it is really important. Um, And they do, I think that's, they've just got to get that right now. And it can't be just greenwashing. It's got to be real. You mentioned, I'm intrigued the cynic in me thinks that the the environmental bit is just a sort of nice to have, but I'm really intrigued. So you've got a 16 year old child. Is it important to them? Is is the planet and the sustainability and all that? Is that genuinely important to her? Um, I'll be honest. Probably at 16, I don't think it is. I think it's when they when they're a bit more like 18 over to 23. Um. So, you know, I do hear some things about it, but not, you know, not as much. But I think it comes a, a little bit later. I'm interested in bad parent and haven't. Um... No, I'm sure you're not. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just I'm interested in when it starts festival, affecting decision <laughs> decision making. You know, when it's when it's when it becomes when it comes into play as a factor in decision making. Um, I'm intrigued as to what age that sort of starts but yeah well yeah put that out i'll be intrigued to see how that that works because like as you were saying before with all the bits with the staffing all this is all part of the same everything's going to cost more trauma that is going to happen we're going to move on from the days of EasyJet and 39 pound flights and you know and all the rest and 12 pound travelogue rooms everything's going to cost more and we're all I think trying to, well, the sector's trying to not disguise this, but kind of appreciate that it's coming and call it like more considerate travel. We'll be doing more considerate travel. Like, yes, we will be doing more considerate travel because the days of cheap travel, for whatever reason, are over or will be over once we get out of this and travel again. And it all starts to, we start to realise. So I think with the sector, as you said before, with the staffing, is facing how to do what it does whilst also charging more for six different reasons. So, yes, being less less bad would be a good start to that. Yeah, but on business travel, you know, companies are um, putting carbon prices next to the travel price. So encouraging people to take the, the, the better option from a carbon perspective. So you might say flight A is x grams of carbon or kilograms of carbon whatever it is and the you know flight b is and as long as they're you know roughly the same airport and the same you know in the same class and all that sort of stuff the person will probably opt for the better carbon option 
and that information is now being provided when people book. Um, so I think on this one, it will be more business travel driving the, the change, whereas on other other areas we've talked about at the moment, in terms of driving demand post-pandemic, it's much more about leisure demand. And, you know, people who are booking their, you know, two weeks in Spain um, are probably less likely to factor in that carbon price because I know a lot of the companies, the tour operators and the airlines will voluntarily say, well, if you want to pay whatever it is to offset your carbon, not many people do when it actually comes to putting the money down at the moment. But it will be the court, it will be the businesses that have to drive that change because they've all got to hit the commitments that they've set that they're going to have to report under, you know, there's a requirement called TCFD, which is total carbon financial disclosures, which means businesses in the UK that are listed are have to going to declare their impact, carbon impact on the environment under different scenarios. And that is coming. And a lot of businesses are preparing for that now. So once it has to be reported and there's a set standard that they can be measured against, you know, the businesses and setting these carbon targets of neutrality by by whatever year it is are going to have to do things to hit those targets and part of that will be the amount of travel they allow their employees to take and the class of travel because your carbon cost on a business class flight is way more than on an economy class flight so companies are changing the bandings of what you can travel business in and what you can travel economy in Partly that will be around cost, but it is increasingly also about carbon. Less going and turning left then, going into the plane and turning right. Oh, sad times. Sad times for those people who are used to having a telephone next to their hotel (laughs) toilet. Um, Okay, I know. Our hearts are very sad for them. I'd like to think, final question, Will, I'd like to think we've learned from this. Um, I think what we've learned is how businesses can adapt rapidly um, and the flexibility. You know, so again, if you look at, you know, the sector I'm closest to probably is the restaurant and pub sector. You think how quickly they adapted um, in terms of, you know, ordering a table. You know, local pubs very quickly had local, had by the time the pubs had reopened, had, you know, scan the QR code, menu on your phone, table service. You know, that would have, they, they probably wouldn't have done that for three to five years. And it was done in six months. You know, and these are, um, I'm not talking your, you know, you know, your Mitchell's and Butler's pub, your Whitbread pub, your Stonegate pub. I'm talking about your local leased pub has now got all these systems in place and they'll, they'll be here to stay because, you know, you don't have to queue at the bar anymore. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we, I did talk about the takeaway survey we did earlier, but if you look at like what Pil- Pizza Pilgrims did, they basically, they had to close all their restaurants and they're thinking, how are we going to survive this? What are we going to do? And within, I think, a couple of weeks, they'd set up Pizza in the Post. (laughs) 
so they developed a whole product direct to consumer and within weeks they were selling nearly as many pizzas as they sold out of their whole restaurant estate through the post which is incredible and actually if you look at it overall that increases the value of their business because it's direct to consumer which has a higher valuation than restaurant and i think they've now signed a deal with ocado to deliver to do that to sell those now permanently in the future and you know and then there's there's the feedback loop so so it helped the restaurant business stay alive through um you know not delivery but direct to consumer but then if you notice that a lot of people are ordering pizzas in Kingston upon Thames. You might then want to open a restaurant there in the future <laughs> and you've got all the customer data. So, you know, that innovation, um, hybrid business models moving forward. I think that is what the pandemic has taught us. And we, you know, we can, you know, if you think about it, when it all happened, I mean, I, I bet a lot of people wonder whether they'd even have a job by now and what they would do. And we're all, you know, pretty much everyone adapted we moved online, you know, Zoom, Microsoft Teams has been a lifesaver. Um, you know, so businesses, people, we all adapted um, very quickly. And I think that's what the pandemic has, has taught us. That and that now we all want pizza. Mm. <laughs> with Chris. <laughs> Pizza with crisps. This is a perfect last day of August, Tuesday afternoon supper, I feel. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, for your time, your wisdom, your crisp chat. Um, mm, and just, I hope I've started a new trend on you know, crisp chat. I sincerely yeah, hope savory. so. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think we'll, yeah, from now on, it can just be sort of any kind of snack, baked goods. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, okay. We need crazy. To ha- I think we need to have a board meeting about this, obviously. I think so. <laughs> um, Percy Biggs. Well, Oh, hang on. Now, how do you feel about that, Catherine? I'm not a huge Percy Pig fan. I'm no, afraid. neither am I. I was, People rave no, about I, very, I know, I don't, I don't, you know, I'll have a bit of Haribo, but uh, I don't know. Although I did see yesterday in my huge M&S experience, there was a whole display of Colin the Caterpillar things, um, including like a, a Colin the Caterpillar cake, like in a jar. I saw many, somebody eating mini ones. Oh, like, um, like, like. Like oh, mini mini Swiss classy. rolls, Colin like mini Swiss rolls, yes, or whatever the um, the Aldi equivalent is. Nice, like Cuthbert, Charles the caterpillar Cuthbert. or something. Oh yes, they're, they're still involved in their court case, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. Well, I Rightly think that so. concludes today's lesson, don't you? <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. Delightful to have your company. And Catherine, equally delightful. I'm just thrilled that you're back, reacquainted with some fully stocked M&S shelves. Well, it's all behind me now. But uh, yes, th- thank you very much, Will. Thank you, Emily. And thank you also to Off Camera, my two special guests, through my son and his friend Elliot, who are playing Ninjago on the Xbox, shouting bro at each other from time to time because... They are white nine-year-olds. That's how that works. <laughs> That's been many people's highlight, to be honest. They not be speaking French. <laughs> you would you'd like to think, wouldn't you? But no. Oh, anyway, dear listener, not thank you Thursday. so much. Exactly. <laughs> Thursday is French day. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Please go and review. Do whatever you're supposed to do on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. There's things you can press and reviews you can leave, and that would all be tremendous. And we look forward to your company next time. 
So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.